All right. Well, hello there. Uh, welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Um, I have a really important clarification to make at the start of this show. Uh, as you all know, I am the host of this podcast. I do this show with uh, a lot of people that I consider my friends. I'm here today with Shayra, with Jim, and with Ben. Um, and when I think about who this podcast is for at the end of the day, my answer is pretty simple. Um, it's a podcast for us. And if you don't like that, you can just get out. So um, you all thought this was going to be a serious intro. Like I started so serious. I, I you just, yeah. Can I say, I just, I love puns. I just peel them off one by one. Uh, they're tethered to my mindset. Uh, so today's podcast is uh, a review and analysis of Jordan, uh, Jordan, I was about to say Jordan Peterson. That may happen more than once tonight. Uh, Jordan Peele's second horror film, Us, uh, his first being Get Out, uh, which was highly praised by all of us on this podcast. Uh, Peele clearly has the ability to make next level horror films. And when I say next level, I mean shit that lasts, that lingers. Uh, you know, stuff that has metaphor, uh, but it's also viscerally satisfying at the same time as a horror fan. And I I think Us is no exception to that. Um, so if you are new to this podcast, I think it's worth reminding our viewers, we do this every once in a while, that on this podcast, we make a distinction between enjoying a horror film and appreciating a horror, a horror film in the same way that you would, um, you know, maybe enjoy a good whiskey, right? You can enjoy a whiskey by mixing it with Coke or drinking it with ice, just however you want. Blasphemy don't even matter, just however you want to do it. Um, but appreciating whiskey is different. There's a particular glass that you use to help bring out particular notes of smell or taste. There's sort of an objective component and a subjective component. And that's how we sort of discuss horror films here on this podcast. We talk about what we liked and disliked, the subjective stuff, but we also talk about directing style, cinematography, use of music, things like that. And um, I think I speak for everybody here when I say that horror films, if they're done well, are culturally valuable things. Like we don't often see them that way because of the ever-present fog of shit like Sleepaway Camp 3 or Annabelle's Triumphant Return Part 8, you know, shit like that. But Jaws, uh, The Exorcist, Halloween, right? These are sort of a different caliber of horror. These hit something communal and fundamental about the human experience, which is why I think they last so long. It's why 50 years down the line, we'll probably still be talking about Silence of the Lambs and not Piranha 3D, right? So, um, Good horror films are informative in a sense. They reflect societal fears, as, and as we've seen on this podcast, deeply personal fears as well. And fears tell us things about one another. They shed light on our place in the world, right? Horror is an avenue in cinema where there's meat on the bone, as it were, uh, which takes us into Jordan Peele's 2019 horror film, Us. Uh, so as always, uh, spoilers from here on out. I don't know why I'm saying as always, I usually jump right into the spoilers, but today you get a warning uh, from here, spoilers on out. Um, so Us is about a young woman named Adelaide Wilson who accompanied by her husband, son and daughter returned to the beachfront home where she grew up as a child. Haunted by traumatic experience from the past, Adelaide grows increasingly concerned that something bad is going to happen. Her worst fears soon become a reality when four strangers descend upon the house forcing the Wilsons into a fight for survival. And the family is horrified to learn that each attacker takes the exact appearance of one of them. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of start with my thoughts. Usually I throw it to one of the co-hosts, but I selected Get Out, so I'll just give a quick intro about why I selected this movie to discuss tonight. Um, uh, I really enjoyed the movie. Here's my summary right here. I really enjoyed the film, but I thought Get Out was a superior film by Jordan Peele. And that's the problem with knocking it out of the park on your first film, right? It's the same fear that I have with Ari Aster doing Midsummer after Hereditary. Like, even if 
the second film is fantastic, it's gonna be seen in light of the just the fucking home run that you just hit. And Get Out was barely two years ago and people are still talking about it. Uh, and they will for a very long time. So knowing this, you know, I wanna do my best to detach this film from the success of Get Out, even though I just compared it to, to Get Out uh, as best as I can. I, I feel like Us was more of a traditional horror film than I was expecting from Peel in the sense that there was you know, things like home invasion, uh, being chased by enigmatic villains with sharp objects. There's blood and viscera. There's a final girl, right? So there's more traditional horror elements in this movie than I was expecting. And I totally dug that. It was a good window, I think, into what Peel would or maybe would not do, uh, or been able to pull off rather, um, as he pushes his way through the horror genre. After all, this is, I believe, his second of four horror films that he is slated to make. So to keep my thoughts short, um, Look, I thought the acting in this movie was fantastic. Lupita Nyong'o's performance, in my mind, was up there with Tony Collette in Hereditary. Did not expect that. Um, but like, even more so, the music in this movie absolutely made it what it is. I mean, we all know the sort of remix, I Got Five on it, but it's really the rest of the soundtrack that is absolutely masterful. Um, you know, you can go listen to the entire thing on YouTube. I, I believe this is Michael Abel's second film score. So there's this kind of like, like new blood sort of vibe from Peel to Abel's. This is just a really fantastic time for the genre, sort of the emergence of new talent uh, in the world of horror. Uh, so the music in this film was absolutely superb. Um, you know, this is a horror film with purpose, right? Like every little thing in this movie is deliberate and we'll probably get into you know what a lot of those are this evening. And I think to a certain type of audience, films like this and likely most of Jordan Peele's horror films are going to appear somewhat preachy, maybe. Um, you know, there's social components and metaphor to this movie that are pretty heavy handed. Um, the most obvious being when Adelaide, you know, asks Red, her copy, her doppelganger, you know, what are you people? And Red says, we're Americans, right? Uh, of all the things she could say, she says, we're Americans. And so us becomes sort of US, right? Like United States, there's a very heavy handed slide into you know, what could possibly seen as American societal hierarchy in the United States. And by the way, with that specific scene, I love how she phrased her question that was very purposeful. It wasn't, who are you people, which makes sense. It was, what are you people, right? There's a very dehumanizing component to that question. And so when Red answers were Americans, it's, it's shocking. It's sort of a, a different level, a higher level than we're expecting. It's a different level answer than we're expecting. Um, so, you know, the shadow people, uh, those down there, as it were, the people upon which, you know, uh, the, the people on who, upon whose back we've built what we have up here today, right? I think that's a large part of the social commentary going on in this movie. But personally, for me, I like looking at this film in a, in a, bit, in a bit more narrowed and individual sort of way, right? The social duality is certainly there. But I like to scope in on the personal level. Uh, level. After all, each of us has a tethered right? The tethered exists in a sort of one-to-one -one way. We each have our own. You and I and everyone else each have a shadowed side that we push down, as it were, underneath the surface. <clears throat> so I, I, I like the idea of the tether, you know, the tethered as a, a, um, a physical manifestation of something like the unconscious or our repressed fears or our anxieties or our traumas or maybe our carnalities, something like that. It's really open to interpretation. Um, I guess I take a somewhat Jungian uh, interpretation of this movie, something you'll never, ever hear me say again, right? Like us feels like Carl Jung's idea of the shadow self writ large, 
Um, uh, Jung's idea of the shadow self has been described as the sum of all personal and collective psychic elements, which because of their incompatibility with chosen attitudes are denied expressions in life. Right? Basically, all we need is Jordan Peterson going down into the sewers with a sword yelling, Dad, Dad, I'm here to save you. Like, that's what I got from this movie for some strange reason. Um, you know, the, the, it, the phrase denied expression in life, like, that's what the tethered are, right? They exist down there in the shadow world, mimicking us up here, but in a distinctly incompatible way. I'm eating pancakes and waffles, and tethered Noah is down there eating the meat off of a bunny rabbit. Right? For every up here action, there is a down there action. You know, the metaphor to me being something like for every cordial handshake I have with my enemy, there's a down there Noah that rips his hand off, right? There's like this repressed id-like shadow engulfed in a kind of carnality that at times makes its way to the surface. It's, it's um, you know, and it meets us in a hall of mirrors of all places, right? We get a glimpse of it when we stare at ourselves in the mirror for too long. And I like to take the movie that way. Like I like, that seems to me to be something that I, I got out of the film fairly quickly. And if we take the movie that way, if you, if you share my interpretation, um, it gives us a picture of what it may look like were we to all let that part of who we are come to the surface to take precedent, um, to no longer be denied expression in life. You know, it would be a, a hands across America where each of our repressed carnal selves would hold hands and for the first time bask in the sunlight which is just a fucking terrifying idea. Like to me, that is a terrifying idea. It's, it's a great question to pose in a horror film. And, and, and this is why I love horror movies. And like what other genre of film can you so freely and overtly reflect that kind of exploration in a, in a way that makes sense, right? Um, so those are my opening thoughts of the film. I, I don't think there's any one way to interpret this movie. I think it's very open-ended, but I like to think of this film as that kind of an exploration. But that's also probably because I'm a sick fuck who's deeply in touch with all my vices. Uh, you know, my, me and my tether, we're like homies. We eat those rabbits together. Um, but, uh, but what about you guys? Uh, I mean, opening thoughts, I know that's a lot. Uh, I, I know I'm not the only sick fuck on this podcast. So uh, any, any other thoughts, uh, opening thoughts on, uh, on us? Take it away. Well, I think you, <clears throat> you got into a, um, a metaphorical interpretation of this film, and uh, I share some of your thoughts, not all of them. Um, I think uh, metaphorically, uh, this film is really quite quite brilliant because the film, it, it's, you know, you mentioned some of the political aspects of this, this film, how us also sort of uh, works as a monogram for the United States, for America. And in this particularly politically divisive time, and in this time when we are dealing with a deeply di um, divided and in fact demonizing the other side, I, I, I'll sort of reference that there's a great Onion headline that was, uh, the division in the country is due to all of the sons of bitches on the other side, and uh, that type of uh, that type of division that's currently in in our country. I think that's what Jordan Peele is talking about because the doppelgangers and the the tethered and the uh, the you know main characters or purported purported main characters, the Wilson family, are in fact the same yet. Um, they are 
they see themselves as as one side being completely evil and the other side sees themselves as being completely good and it's only after the encounter of those that one side gets to realize that well both sides get to realize that we are the same that we are still that we're we're the same group of people even though um we're we're all americans even though one side is is actively trying to um undermine and and in fact murder the other so i think it works metaphorically about the divisiveness that's that's currently going on i also think it works on a, a level as it relates to um race and class in in our our current political backdrop because um i'm gonna you referenced young i'm gonna reference um homie baba who is a uh a post-colonial theorist um, he talks about the idea of hybridity, and that is in any oppressive environment, two people are created. Um, and I'll, I'll, instead of explaining the way Baba explains it, I'll try and explain it in a little bit more um, relatable way. You may have a job that's oppressive, and your boss may be an oppressive person, and uh, you know he or she walks up to you and says, "Do this thing that do this ridiculous thing," and on the surface, you're like, sure, of course I will do the thing that you ask. But inside, you're like, you motherfucker, I'm going to hurt you. You know, so there's two people that are created. And then Baba explains this in a post-colonial context. Um, so imagine that that division, that hybridity, that you are both the person saying yes, but also the person resisting. Now, explode that into the oppression as it relates to a the racial dynamics within the United States um and and the african-american experience in the united states so you've got an oppressive environment that's sort of forcing this duality on this entire group of people um in both a racial and class uh sense and so here's a metaphorical representation of the the altered the the group of people who are um, repressed and oppressed and uh, who don't have the same opportunities and who could be like the people up above um, except they don't have the opportunity to exist in that in that um, in that place and so then we sort of get this metaphorical uh, interpretation of hybridity as it relates to race relations in the US and I find both of those, um, metaphorical interpretations. In fact, I find this whole movie metaphorically to be a masterpiece. We'll get into uh, some of my other uh, issues with the film um, later, but I think metaphorically it works it as a statement of hybridity as it relates to race and class, and also a um, a discussion of how uh, our politically divisive times are not so that we're not as divided as um we we construct ourselves to be so if i could i want to expand on that a little bit too i'd um maybe provide some additional examples that i saw that kind of like play into that gym because I, th I think that's a really good call out um you know talking about the um the divisiveness in the country and kind of like the duality there which of course duality is a huge theme in this movie in fact it might be the most obvious theme um, there, there are a, a couple of particular points toward the beginning of the movie that I thought were incredibly interesting playing into this point. The first was, of course, whenever they're, the family is all driving together in the car, they're going toward the beach house and, you know, I got five on, it comes on for the first time, you know, they start singing this together 
and uh, Jason in the back asks what the song is about, right? And so his sister tells him it's about drugs. And his dad's like, no, it's not about drugs. It's a dope song, um, but it's not about drugs, right? And then like immediately in that same kind of like line of thinking, he's singing about it, um, messing with that endo weed. Like, I mean, he knows, he knows what it's about. He's essentially lying to his son to protect him. But then following that also, um, Adelaide turns around and like uses this, this beat and stuff to kind of like try and teach her son about music and like get him into the beat and stuff like that. Um, and there's kind of like this repression of what the song actually is um, in order to try and also bring that along as part of like a shared culture, right? There's another point too, uh, I really want to point out when they're around the dinner table and Jason says bullshit or something like that. He calls something bullshit, I think is what it is. And then his dad tells him not to cuss. But then immediately following that for the rest of the movie, you hearing, hear him using quite a few swear words, right? So it's like this, this sort of all, almost like a hypocrisy that you see. And if we do sort of tie that back into American culture, I think it's quite obvious, right? Because we're very proud, I think, of our roots and where we come from. We talk about this country being one of liberty, of freedom, of equality. Um, many of those elements are in our Declaration of Independence and our, our Constitution. But what we also try to sweep under the rug is that in building a culture supposedly built on those things, we've committed genocide, we've enslaved other human beings, we've oppressed many different groups, and we kind of want to pretend that that's not there, but at the same time sort of praise who we are and where we come from as kind of like this beacon of virtue. And it just doesn't, I think, work, right? I mean, there's like a, a huge disservice that happens by trying to ignore those things that did in fact occur, that we did perpetrate um, in the name of building a society which contradicts all of the actions that we actually took. Yeah, I th I think you're right on there, Ben. And uh, it's it's upon us to remember our history in that sense. Um, I read a student paper just today that was saying something along the lines of, um, if you don't like it here, leave uh, or shut up. And I'm like, oh yeah, because, and then, well, if you don't like it here, leave and then shut up because the soldiers died for your freedom. And I'm like, oh, the freedom to leave. I didn't write this because that would make me a bad teacher. But oh, yeah, the freedom to leave or shut up or to say what I want to say about what I'm seeing. You know, there's there is that sort of contradiction in American culture. Um, and when we get into Easter eggs, I think the I got five on it is an Easter egg in and of itself. There's the there's the thing that happens there that I think is uh, a nice little Easter egg that we should call out. But until then, uh, what did you think, Shayra? Um, I, I think I got five on it is socialism and <laughs> it's piling your money together to get some weed, dude. Um, uh, so I actually, I want to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, Jordan Peele has two movies. We've got Get Out and then we've got now Us. And I feel like they are very much tied together. I think Jordan Peele's even talked about how they're kind of tied together. But one of the most interesting aspects of it, uh, you know, in Get Out, you have him falling into, uh, what, what is it, the, what does he refer to The sunken as? place. Yeah, the, the sunken, sunken place. place. And then now we have an underground, like, tunnel people thing going on. Um, it's it's always like there's a trap going down under. And even when uh, in Get Out, when he goes down into the basement and he's, like, hooked up to the chair to look at the TV, he's down in a basement. And there's, who knows what's going down underneath this house. Like, maybe there's an a complete entire society underground that's all working through the government, uh, doing scientific experimentation and other types of things to people. 
Um, and, and we see this in the uh, beginning opening scene in Us where we have the camera panning out. We see all these rabbits. Rabbits tend to be uh, used for, they breed a lot, so you can do a lot of experimentation on them. Um, and obviously they're great for yummy, crunchy food for <laughs> the underground people. But um, I find it very interesting that they're, they're all like underground. All these ex all this experimentation is underground. It's very much trying to call out the Illuminati or the government institutions, the powers that be. Uh, it's, it's this very uh, be afraid. I, I need to put on my tinfoil cap uh, <laughs> when I discuss this stuff. But you actually see this, this come up with uh, the organization that's in Get Out. It's something like the Red Something was the organization that the, the family worked for. And then um, now we have Red and she gets everybody to wear red jumpsuits. And so I, I feel like there's very much an interconnection of this powers that be that are doing scientific experimentation. I will not be surprised if Jordan Peele's next film has some kind of scientific experimentation that goes on again. So um, I, I feel like there's definitely a connection with the films. And I, you can tell that Jordan Peele likes to connect with other films uh, that he wasn't a part of and say little Easter eggs and stuff. So we'll get into Easter eggs. But I think he wants to have Easter eggs within all of his films, kind of like with Pixar, where they always have the, uh, the pizza truck in the background. I think he's going to be one of those filmmakers. So it's important to pay attention with all the stuff that's going on, because there's probably going to be little uh, hints at things throughout all of his filmography that will interconnect all of his, like, it's all in the same world, you know? So. Yeah, and I think you're right to sort of note that this is always going underground or or, or uh, repressed in some way, because I think that's sort of the key to understanding Peel's um, conceptions of, of race and culture and African-American culture uh, in particular. I think the sunken place works as a, a really great visual metaphor for the marginalization of African-Americans. And in the same case, uh, I think there's a sense of marginalization to the tethered. Um, the, the line that really unlocked this film for me was when uh, one of the characters said it, they built it for power and control. And that's that's where I was like, oh, okay, now I understand the whole metaphorical um, interpretation behind this thing or how it all uh, sort of ties together. Um, do we want to get into Easter eggs, guys, or do you get more uh, ideas about uh, metaphors and metaphorical interpretations of this thing? Yeah, there, there was one other thing. Um, Shira, I, I might have missed this. Um, when, you, when you were talking about rabbits in the underground part, did you happen to mention through the looking glass? I... <laughs> I, I definitely okay. thought of it uh, over and over again. Um, there were many moments where there was a lot of rabbits. Uh, go, let's go into rabbits. You, you, yeah, you go yeah. ahead and give your rabbit stuff, and then I'll give my rabbit stuff. How about that? All right, cool. I'll do some rabbit stuff really quick. I, I'm sorry. Like I, I, I was trying to pay attention, but I was having to pour myself some more vodka because, of course, it is vodka o'clock, guys. Um, yeah, so like the, the the rabbit thing, um, I really felt like I'm not sure 100% if this is an Easter egg or not, uh, Waka Waka, but um, I, I do think that ties into kind of like a, a through the looking glass sort of thing, right? Because like as you're talking about being underground um, in the book, I think that's exactly how Alice falls into Wonderland, right? She, she's like by this tree and falls through into a rabbit hole. And I guess like that's where we get that expression and then goes down underground into this place where everything is the opposite of the way it's supposed to be, right? And so like then of course that turns into the whole theme about duality um, and kind of like the mirror image stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think 
uh, it, it was an amazing idea to make such a big part of this movie about rabbits because I think it it's another way that he can kind of bring that idea forward about not only kind of like the underground theme we're going into a place underneath that kind of thing where things get crazy, but also sort of the mirror image and dual uh, duality uh, imagery, I guess. Yeah, uh, the rabbit stuff I have to bring up is, um, so first off, I've tried to look into why Jordan Peele put rabbits in, see what his insight is. It's really just that he's he's deathly afraid of rabbits. He thinks they're really scary. So that's why he put rabbits in, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like it's, I was like, that's the most honest <laughs> like thing ever. He's like, everybody else thinks bunnies are cute, but they are scary as shit. Like he's just so scared of rabbits. Um, but I also uh, found some people that were talking about the fact that rabbits ears kind of look like scissors, you know, uh, trying to go to that whole scissors thing. But um, the, the thing with rabbits is they, um, I, I think there's they they were all over the place. You see it on um, uh, what's the name of her daughter's uh, her daughter? Anyway, Sora. Yes, yes. She has a bunny on her shirt, but also she even wears a, a shirt at one point where in Vietnamese it says like it's Vietnamese for rabbit or or bunny. So for some reason the rabbit and bunny kept being tied to the daughter. Um, so I don't know if you guys noticed that or why you think uh she was more tied to the bunny stuff than the other characters i've got um, something for that i think ooh, okay please please yeah 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 so she's the one who likes to run correct she's the runner she's track and field if we think back to get out right what was that that song noah that you said that um that beat you me to it about? yeah beat yeah, me yeah, to yeah. it i was Go sitting here it, screaming i was sitting here screaming with the camera i was like oh my god it just oh, it's not even in my notes i didn't you guys totally made me think of that the opening of get out is run rabbit Run rabbit, run rabbit, run, 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 bang, 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 bang goes the farmer's gun, right? Like my grandfather used to sing that to me when I was a kid, which I am completely removing from my family lineage, even though it had nothing to do with bad things. I just, that was the song in Get Out and I can't sing it anymore with a straight face. But yeah, you're right. That's the opening song of Get Out. Crazy. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So she's, she's interconnected with Get Out too. I see. I've told you, I, I'm telling you, I think he's like trying to interconnect all That's the wild. movies. Oh, I think he's, I think he's interconnecting the movies metaphorically and thematically. I just don't know if he's like, I I don't think that us and Get Out exist in the same cinematic universe. Like that's, he's I, been I quiet agree. on that. Yeah, he he's been quiet on that. They've everyone and their mom has asked him that, and he says not going to answer. Gonna yeah, answer. I I don't think so. I it's mean, it's so we can argue. That's the point. It's so we can argue then. Right. Yeah. I, and and you brought up the scissors. I think scissors work as another metaphorical uh, thing as well because you know those are two blades that are identical that work together to cut to divide something. And uh, metaphorically, that fits with all of our inter interpretations thus far. So, um, so I think uh, what we should do. Getting, go ahead. Is we should each do an Easter egg. Go down the line and let's see how many we can do. Okay. No. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I mean, mine, I like she's not when she's doing see the rhythm, uh, you know, and she's snapping her fingers. It's off. She's in the she's completely off. Like it's I think it's on the one and three that she's snapping and it's not even close to right. Now, either that's an ADR mistake or that's a kind of it's an early clue that she is not 
that she's slightly off, that she is not perhaps of this world, which of course we get to see later on. Um, and then, you know, early formation of rhythm and rhythm recognition it happens when you're very young. And so uh, it's uh, it makes sense that that she would not understand rhythm as well. So uh, that's my uh, you were talking about Easter eggs, but uh, the, I and that that scene when she when there's no, nope, that's a good one. I'm marking it off my list. That was on uh, my list. And then there's I mean, I got five on it is about two people. Uh, one of them only has half of a uh, uh, the cost for a dime bag. And uh, there, there's another sense of duality. One is only half of the the whole. So okay, um, I'm. You guys go with your Easter eggs. No, yeah. I know you got no. Th Stay those right were good. Here. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, Adelaide's dad uh, at the pier. What game is he playing uh, at the beginning? One of the games he's playing is uh, when uh, Adelaide goes missing. Is whack a mole. Is about I mean, pushing not even hitting anything. Yeah, I, that bothered me so much. He's like, he's like, nah, just I got it. And he's just sitting hitting the same thing. I'm like, okay, who did? Why? Why did? Actually, try to hit the damn moles anyway. Yeah, but it's about pushing down, get back in your hole, that sort of thing. Right. right? All right. Well, who else? Shayra. Okay. I'll, I'll get one. Uh, fuck the police comes straight from the underground. <laughs> 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 uh, I love, okay, I will say this, when that song came on in the theater, everyone just went ape shit laughing their fucking asses off. Of course, it's a horrific scene, too. You're like, oh, ah, ha, ha, ah. I don't know how to react. So it's just everyone's going crazy. That was a fun moment in the theater, honestly. Yeah, that was probably one of the fa uh, funniest lines in the whole theater, or in the whole film, except for perhaps, um, what are micro machines? What's Home Alone? Um, or, or mine that I laughed hysterically at. The police are ready on their way. That was, that probably made me, I like, I was in tears. I was hooting so damn loud in the theater. Anyway. All right, so I think the only one that I've even remotely got is kind of like something that Jim had already brought up, right? And so if this is U.S. and we're, we're meant to understand this as like a, a metaphor for the United States, and we know that there's some heavy themes in here about like government control, I kind of thought that the duality and the imagery of the scissors, you're talking about two halves of the same kind of like utensil built to divide was sort of like a direct metaphor to the two major political parties in the United States both the Republicans and the Democrats secretly working together to keep everyone divided and sort of attacking each other so they can maintain control. Um, I mean, if we're going to go into tinfoil hat territory, I can bust out full on Alex Jones if we need to and talk about the chemicals in the water that are turning the friggin' frog. Uh, in here. That's why we're here. Totally. <laughs> that's what the daughter did, actually. She she went into that territory. She started talking about fluoride in the water to control the people when they were in the car. The parents were kind of like, what the... You looking at on your phone <laughs> i love that reaction they're like what <laughs> i think that's probably like literally the only major one that i have though i'm really bad at this game guys <laughs> <laughs> oh i have i have a ton okay so one of my favorites was uh goonies was on the uh on the shelf and you actually uh later on when red is talking she quotes mikey and remember because red is actually adelaide uh, she had seen Goonies, so she quotes Mikey when she talks about when it's their time. <laughs> and so, um, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Goonies, but uh, if you have not watched the Goonies, um, they 
basically are in this underground craziness, uh, all different kinds of fun little mazes they go through in the underground. And at one point, the leader, Mikey, talks about how it's their time down there. And um, basically, all the people up there can suck it because they're the Goonies. And they're going to kick ass and they're going to find the pirate ship and the money. So um, I, I loved that she referenced Mikey <laughs> when she's talking shit. And that was actually a huge hint for me that she was actually mm. Adelaide. All right, I'm going to do all the repetitions of 11, the number 11, ready? Uh, in the opening seed, the, the news promo, right? It's uh, it call, 11, it's like 11 news at 11, right? Uh, Adelaide, when she's at the fairground, when she's a little kid and her father asks, What's, which one do you want? She says, I want 11, I want 11. The alarm clock hits 11, 11, right before the doppelgangers attack. That's the obvious one. My favorite one, though, is the obvious and very overt Jeremiah 11.11, which, as I'm sure everyone knows, says, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape, although they will cry out, I will not listen to them. Now that, you could stop there. But if you, here's the brilliance of Jordan Peele. If you actually know the context of that verse, um, the, the Jews had essentially in that passage, it's talking about how the Jews had forgotten their own history. Right? That's how perfect this is, like who they were. Um, this is like Adelaide forgetting her past as a doppelganger. Which I thought was just like, oh, at this point, I was like, I'm watching every film this guy makes. Fuck me, dude. Uh, so those are all my 11s. Do you have any more? Oh, no, there's one more. Uh, where is it? The uh, the ambulance, I think. At that's the what I was going to say, the ambulance. Yeah, yeah the correct. ambulance has 11. So that's all of 11 that I caught. There was also an audio one when the dad was watching the game. The score was tied at 11 11. Mm, I didn't know that. Oh, shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I noticed 11 11 just because um, uh, one of my husband's like really close family friends is into paganism and witchcraft and all that stuff. And she's obsessed with 11 11. So whenever we're hanging out with her and it hits 11 11, she's like, all right, everybody, stop. This is this is the lucky time. Everybody has to stop and make a wish. And I'm like, what the fuck is next, this shit? Next time, next time she does that, plan to have the power go out. That's all I got to say. <laughs> oh, no. Don't <laughs> let her watch this movie. She'll be like, you're ruining 11-11. <laughs> all right, let's keep this going. What other, you guys have any other ones? Chud, we, we should discuss Chud. That was uh, referenced. Uh, there were monsters that were from down in the uh, sewers and the streets that were you know, taking women and small dogs, <laughs> ripping them down into the sewers. Um, and obviously this has those types. It, they're not really monsters, though. They're people. But, mm -hmm. you know, sure, we can uh, we can say it's a government cover up in Chad. Government uh, cover up, uh, yeah. A nightmare on Elm Street is sitting right next in that same opening. Do thing. you guys like my sweater for today, by the way? I was wondering <laughs> if that was purposeful. There we go. <laughs> this is as Freddy Krueger as I can be. But I had to go with the Freddy Krueger references that are so abundant. The glove. The, you know, oh, I'm going to be creepy with my fingers. I was like, all right, Freddy Krueger, you're freaking me out. Stop it. <laughs> I, I was going as a craft beer hipster, which I think I nailed personally, um, even though it has nothing to do with any of this this film. Uh, with bald guy in a suit. Uh, Michael Jackson is all over this, uh, this thing as well. Yes. Thriller. Um, obviously, Jordan Peele did not know that he was going to release the film uh, while Michael Jackson was in the cultural zeitgeist. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't know that. Um, yeah, and so the and Thriller, of course, is a music, you know, yeah, I don't need to, to Wait a that. minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that there's stuff from Thriller in this movie. 
I can't believe that. I that know. is just too hard to. I, it's what? Look, I know I'm stretching, Noah, but I think yeah. that this film invites a metaphorical reading. So I, you know, I thought that. Yeah. Okay. They were but, all. They were all wearing one glove. That was the other thing I was going to mention. But don't worry, Noah. You don't have to follow me down this rabbit hole. Um. All right. Uh, the other there was another uh, Easter egg that I've uh, that I had, but I can't remember what it, it is. Itsy bitsy spider. Itsy bitsy spider. Ah yes. Okay. All right. What's the what's the itsy bitsy spider song? All right. I'm not going to sing it. This is not happening. Don't look at me like that. Uh, the itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Up came the sun and dried up all the rain. And the itsy bitsy spider went up. The spout again. So Adelaide is singing this on the, in the Hall of Mirrors. Um, also, notice that Adelaide, when they're when she's in the beach house, sees a spider, wigs her out. Right. This is the song about coming up. Um, you know, all the rain is dried up, and the itsy bitsy spider comes up, comes out the spout again. So, but notice that with the spider on the coffee table, there's a fake spider, and the real spider comes out uh, from under the fake spider as a way to say to fake Adelaide. This bitch is coming for you. And actually, if you think about it, the real Adelaide is the scary one in this because when she's going through this mirrored room, which the uh, tethered one is going to be going through there too, right? Adelaide's essentially singing, we're going to wash you out. You're going to try to come out, but we're going to wash you back down that drain. <laughs> and it's like, in a way, Adelaide's the scary one. She's wearing a thriller shirt and she is threatening, you know? Man, I really want to latch onto that comment that you just made about real Adelaide. Um, all right, is there any more? Is there any more uh, Easter egg stuff? Because like I'm, I'm about to like. No, I like where you're going. I, I got more, but I want to. I go go where you're taking this. Go. All right, guys. So, one of my favorite things about this movie, by the way, um, was that I really don't think there was any clear bad guy except for like maybe the government, right? <laughs> maybe maybe the government, but I honestly don't see the the tethered coming up and doing their thing is honestly kind of like all that unreasonable. Sure, they're they're killing, right? I mean, and it's like the violence and that kind of like makes it obvious that they're sort of like the antagonists of the movie, I suppose. But whenever you think from their perspective, I think their actions seem totally justified, right? Like, I mean, their entire lives, they are entirely determined by this other version of themselves that gets to live this this wonderful life and sort of they have to mirror that in some type of horrific way they were pressed underground they're forced to eat raw rabbit that you know i mean it's like a, a terrible existence that they're forced to endure and the only way that they can really escape from that is by rising up and 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 killing that other half but Ultimately, I think what we see here isn't like a really kind of like a good and evil sort of comparison. Like, I really think it's just sort of a struggle to to live from both sides. Um, and I think there's obviously some like very Nietzschean stuff going on here. Right. So it's like whenever we have Adelaide going into the Hall of Mirrors at the very beginning, she looks into the mirrors and stares into this. And eventually the mirror stares back. Right. I mean, she's looking into the void until the void stares back. But if we go in from that into kind of like this whole will to power thing, I really think that's kind of like, I think that's sort of what's going on here. I mean, both sides are really just sort of struggling to survive and that's, that's, that's pretty much the end of it. Right. I mean, like both sides are completely reasonable. One side is trying to defend themselves. The other side is trying to defend themselves. And what we see is just sort of like the resulting clash. And I don't necessarily think either Adelaide can be shown to be, 
either the fake one or the real one because i mean the original the tethered one is the one that came up yes in the beginning of the movie but throughout the entire what 20 years or, or 30 years that it's presumed that she has lived on the surface she seems to have essentially have developed into this this normally function hu human being with a totally normal life she has kids that she obviously cares about she has a husband that she seems to love and other than that i mean there's really no indication that she has any sort of distinction from her and any other type of person and even though they describe the tethered as being like just a physical copy without a soul it seems sort of obvious that there's, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't think that you can view the Adelaide that we know, the main character, as being sort of soulless because she does have those kind of connections. And I think that's that's sort of a sign that she has developed. But I mean, also on the other side of that, the red that we know, which is actually Adelaide, I suppose, from the beginning has sort of gone the other direction and she started there and she supposedly has that soul, but she's sort of devolved because the pressures of her environment have driven her to a state of insanity. So which one really is real? I mean, that's, that's one of the key issues that, that sort of plays out here. I think that's one of the biggest question marks that we're left with at the end of the movie. Like, who are you rooting for? Are you upset? that the fake one survived, right? Or the, the, you know, the fake one that came out at the beginning of the movie, or does it seem like the good guy won? It's really hard to make that distinction, I think. It's very hard, and it's it's a huge question mark for me. I think you're absolutely right, and I think you're hitting on exactly what some of the metaphorical interpretations of this film would lead you to to hit on. Um, I and you explained it really well, too. I Yes, I agree with you completely. Um, and, you know, they, the only thing that I would add is that there was one line where they were talking about they learned how to... Uh, this is... Uh, the real Adelaide, uh, the one who's lived underground all her life, um, she says they learned how to clone the body, but they could not clone a soul. So essentially, these two beings are sharing a soul, uh, one uh, who's deprived of all opportunities, deprived of all uh, human interaction, except for the the dumb show that they're supposed to um, engage in uh, mirroring the people up above. So in fact, the ri the rising up of this group of people is a group of people trying to reclaim the soul or make the make themselves whole, make themselves the real Adelaide, the real Winston Duke character, the real whoever. Um, and in that sense, they're, they're, I, for me, for someone whose sympathies almost always um, ally with those who are oppressed, I struggle to find this to be a down ending when I see that the tethered have been largely successful. Um, I also struggle to see it as a down ending when the uh, when Adelaide ends up being. Um, being uh, 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 victorious in the end, so I think you're right when you're when you're kind of pointing us toward the moral ambiguity. Is it um, is it considered uh, best that uh, that that um, the tethered the originally tethered tethered Adelaide is the one who's triumphant? I don't know. Is it uh, is it considered um, best that the uh, the the tethered have been largely successful as they do their hands across America in the final shot. I don't know. I mean, I I have my sympathies with the oppressed mostly. So in a way, I have to 
I have to ally myself with the people in red. Um, it's a weird, it's it's a morally ambiguous ending to this film and a film that's, that's begging us to consider our own morality as we're relating with, uh, as, as we're trying to figure out um, how to view the ending of this movie. If, if only we had a moral philosopher as part of this podcast, cough, cough, Garrett, uh, who couldn't make it tonight. Um, I, we have a, a comment in the chat from Bloodsport that says the ending is symbolic of a slave rebellion. They found to be interesting. Um, He's yeah, not, can I, uh, can I hit on that? I, yeah. I, I, right. I, I, would, I would like to actually talk about this. So one of the interesting aspects of this film was that they talked about Hands Across America. And um, uh, when Jordan Peele was researching stuff on YouTube, he came across the commercial for it. And he was like, this is scary and creepy as fuck <laughs> like what the fuck 80s um but uh, hands across america was referred to as the most 80s thing to happen in the 80s it is a an event where people were thinking they could come together to help others and failed miserably uh it lasted all of 15 minutes the amount of money that they raised was basically enough to cover the event and nothing to actually help homeless people or people that were downtrodden uh, a lot of celebrities were involved in the music videos and stuff uh, incorporated with it. Um, it was it was uh, an absolutely ridiculous fiasco. And so when Red gets a bunch of the people who've been suppressed, who have been pushed underground to achieve this thing that others couldn't, it was a way of saying, you guys have continuously put us down here. We have had absolutely nothing. We've had absolutely none of the privilege you've had, and we achieved something you motherfuckers could never do. And it's uh, it's definitely kick-ass. Like, what they do is kick-ass. And, and honestly, when we think about marginalized groups and people that we say can't do enough, uh, we hear all these things about they're lazy or they're just not doing enough. I, I think Jimmy Kimmel went, uh, went and had someone asking a bunch of little kids on the street, why do you think women make less money than men? And all the kids were like, well, women are lazy. They're just shopping online the whole time. I mean, they were saying some crazy shit about women that was so like, what the fuck? Uh, it, there was only a couple of kids that were, were like, no, my mom is actually a hard worker. But most of the kids were like, oh, women just want to sit around. Um, and we think about, obviously, with Black people, with Mexican people, a lot of people have these like, oh, they're lazy. They don't do anything. Um, so what they are essentially doing is saying, hey, we could actually do this thing you guys couldn't do because you said topography got in your way. Fuck your topography. We'll fucking hold hands across America when you guys couldn't. Um, I think it's pretty powerful shit. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a sense of reckoning. The more you guys are talking, the more I'm realizing that this film has a heavy emphasis on, on like the reckoning sort of comeuppance and, and, um, and uh you know, we, we talked at the very beginning about sort of pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. But this movie ends with with the spilling over, the coming up, um, which I think is um, ominous. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think it's it's powerful and important. And it's something that seems to be part and parcel of Kill's films. Um, and um, I don't know, just the more you guys are talking, I'm realizing there's a there's there's kind of a reckoning aspect to this movie. Also, Ben, I put in my notes, you, you very briefly mentioned Nietzsche. And I put in the notes and I have no context for this. I don't remember why I put it in there, but I put when you stare into the Adelaide, the Adelaide stares into you. Um, I, I can't really contextualize that any better. I didn't really pursue any notes under that. So I thought I'd just add that for you. 
Well, it also speaks to the the ending. Also speaks to um, a, you know this this a a rather shallow sense of morality and a rather shallow sense of togetherness. Uh, Hands across to America was a largely symbolic thing that meant to represent this this uh, this view of brotherhood and and sisterhood, and yet it it was a colossal failure and you know this this is exactly the type of uh reckoning as you mentioned noah that a uh, a six-year-old girl or a eight-year-old girl would think is the um moral equivalent of of a a a, a just end and uh Obviously, since the real organization was was a bit of a failure, it, it seems I, I I don't know if we should read the ending as unambiguously a success because it's not it's it's a largely symbolic gesture that doesn't doesn't actually accomplish much. Does that make sense? Or they accomplished more than the uh, people above ground, and they managed to cut their fucking umbilical cord and make sure that they can control their own bodies from now on instead of having it controlled by someone else like a puppet. I mean, if you listen to what well, was saying when she was talking about how this one girl met her prince, but the other girl was forced to have sex with someone she didn't necessarily want to do stuff with and have babies torn out of her that she didn't get to make decisions about. Someone else was controlling the situation and she had no say. That's really fucking frightening. And, you know, we, we talked about alien at one point in time during our discussion of the shows and the idea of this like alien being being implanted in you and coming out of your stomach. And it's like nothing you can control. That's so frightening. And that's essentially what's happening to the people underground. They have no real control over what's happening to their own bodies. They have no free will and completely no free will. So. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, Shira. I yeah, I mean, I don't mean to uh, certainly, I I don't mean to belittle the acts of the the tethered and the accomplishment that they they end up um, achieving at the end. I I am trying to see this. Uh, I think this film is asking us to view it metaphorically um, because if you view it literally, it's kind of a mess, um, which we'll, maybe I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but the and, and so in that sense, I'm trying to to piece together what that final image means and if there's an extra commentary about um, both the failure of Hands Across America and how that indicates our inability to deal with real issues um, and rather privilege symbolic gestures over real solutions. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it was a complete failure. It was silly. <laughs> it's a silly, I, I agree, it was a silly thing. But I honestly think that's why it's so awesome that someone was able to achieve it though, right? Like it's such a silly, ridiculous thing. That's why it failed. But they managed to figure out how to make it happen. And it was to go over mountains and rivers that others couldn't. And um, yeah, I mean, that that's, a, that's literally how we fight for things, right? We we come across uh, more hardships than others might be willing to. A privileged class would be like, eh, you know, I don't need to put myself through all this fucking shit. But other 
people need to actually get through some much harder parts of their life. They need to go into deeper waters or higher hills because that's the only way they can get or try to be as equal as possible. So it doesn't mean that they'll be equal, but. And, and in that sense, I mean, we think of the ending, it, it, it we're tempted to see the ending as, well, I want to say hollow, right? It's the same act that it is a, it is a similar physical act to Hands Across America done successfully. But when you think about the, the tethered, these are people with no language. These are people who are, you know, that have far less of an ability to do what the people who initiated Hands Across America did, and they did it more successfully. So there's a sense in which just that alone is triumphant to a large degree. I mean, what are they going to do? Come together and say, no, I'm taking your job and you're going to go down. I mean, it's the worst thing they could have done is to engage in something like that. I think the mere act of doing what was not successful by those above is is not hollow. It's absolutely triumphant. Um, and I, the moral ambiguity aside, you know, I. I think it's something to. I, I, I do. I. I guess I would call this somewhat of a triumphant ending. I mean, it's it's weirdly. I, I feel morally dirty saying that, but at the same time, I see. I see sort of the the reckoning and the overcoming, and I want to give credit where credit is due. But at the same time, like most everybody's dead. I'd be dead. I'd be dead in like three seconds. Bitch would come right through this room, and I'd be gone. All of us would be. You know, you know, there's actually something interesting that happens in that, right? Like uh, when when uh, the family that was um, hanging out in their big giant house with their uh, biatch uh, <laughs> yacht, um, there was a discussion that I swear to fuck I've had with my husband where I'm like, I heard something outside and he's like, I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm sitting here there could be a monster outside and there's no monster it's like i've had i swear when i was listening to that i was like i looked at daniel i was like that's you you do that when i'm scared and i tell you i'm scared and you're just like um ah, i'm sitting though um there, I, sh I shit you not i did that like a week ago kira i did that like a week ago <laughs> I could see it i could see I, it. I i it's so bad that we have nest cams and i was like hold on wait a minute and i sat there and i just like flipped on my phone i'm like no there's no one out there like i'm not oh gonna go my God. I swear you and Daniel are so similar sometimes, but like, I swear I've seen this, like everything's fine. I, I would like to, here's another Easter egg for you guys. The twins in the movie. Um, first off, obvious duality going on there with having twins in there, but I would like to give you guys a little bit of background. Those actresses are Emma, which is Ross and Rachel's daughter, Emma from Friends. Um, those no twins shit. have grown up and now they are in scary movies and they got to die five times <laughs> in the film, which is fun. Um, but yeah, that's Emma died five times is, is the way that I have looked at this film now. Well, this film, film suddenly got a shitload more horrifying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ross and Rachel are, are none too happy. I'm sure. <laughs> About those twins. Um, there was one other thing, I guess I, okay. So like, I, I'm just like completely stealing this from the wisecrack analysis of this, which by the way, um, they got a lot of shit wrong and I was really surprised, right? Like one thing that they mentioned toward the end of the movie about how, you know, Adelaide was kind of like one of the tethered because she tries to take a trinket from one of the people that she's killed and like tries to steal the necklace of red. I mean, that was fucking, that was the key to the handcuffs. I, I like, she was just trying to unlock her handcuffs. Um, so yeah, I don't know, like step up your game wisecrack, but, uh, this other thing was actually really interesting. So, um, when we're at the fairgrounds in the beginning of the movie, Jake the guy Rose. that owns, do what? 
I just said shade thrown. And, oh, hell yeah, I'll throw some more shade too. Uh, just give me a just give me a minute. Let me get into my shit. Um, all right. So at the beginning of the, <laughs> the beginning of the movie, when they're in the the fairgrounds, and the guy that is running the whack a mole game is owning like wearing a black flag shirt. Can we talk about that for a second? Um, I think this is obviously like one big symbol of kind of like a countercultural mindset. Like, I don't know if you know anything about the band. And like, obviously, I'm not I'm not like a huge fan or whatever like that. I don't follow all of their work. But that's kind of their theme. They're kind of like one of these bands kind of like Rage Against the Machine where they're supposed to be taking this perspective of kind of like a countercultural revolutionary mindset. And so that's really interesting. But on the other side of that, whenever we have the time skip and we move forward, the twins, one of the twins on the beach is wearing a black flag shirt of kind of like one of the newer versions. It's kind of like uh, it's like white and has like the black symbol on it. And I, I really feel like that's that's a fantastic way to symbolize how class culture is sort of brought up in this movie right so it's like you have kind of like a, an affluent sort of upper middle class family and one of the kids is sort of a, a absorbing the symbol and completely making it meaningless and shallow and kind of just like using it as a fashion statement um and i thought that was that was kind of like a really fantastic little little thing that got thrown in there um i don't know if that's necessarily like an easter egg but it was a nice touch it was definitely a nice touch um, Weiss, Weisscrack should start their own podcast and call it the Over Analysis Podcast. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That was a terrible joke. I'm going to edit this out. This never happened. No, it was good. It was good. Joke I have another you. Easter egg. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, as you, some of you may know, I am from Northern California. And um, Santa Cruz was definitely a place I went to all the fucking time with my family, with my friends. There's tons of pictures of me and my best friend uh, on the beach, me on her shoulders and us flexing. I mean, I have tons of stuff from Santa Cruz. But one of the main reasons why Santa Cruz was so huge for me was because that's where Lost Boys was filmed. And um, I, I mean, I swear I was seeing shots of this and I was like, cry, little sister. I was like, yeah. Um, but they actually give a call out to Lost Boys. Now I will give Jordan Peele this. He actually said they were in Santa Cruz. Lost Boys didn't say that. They made up some stupid town name. So you know what? Thank you for giving some shout out to NorCal. Um, but uh, they, at one point, the parents are fighting and arguing at the fair and the mom said something about they're filming a movie at the carousel. And I was like, oh shit, this is happening right alongside uh, the filming of Lost Boys. That's great. Um, they're, they're trying to make a little joke there. I thought that was fun. I got that Easter egg. You, I'm, I'm, I'm deleting all my Easter eggs here and we're coming Yay. down to it. That was definitely one I had. Um, so the obvious stuff, Frisbee landing on the circle, super obvious, right? It's like double layered. That's like bloodbath and beyond metaphor right there. Uh, the sunlight and the shadows. Right, same sort of level, uh, bloodbath and beyondish. Um, the family sticker on the car, like the tethered thing. Very simple, very simple analogies. Even a, a you know, a, a, a very simple analogies. I'm not going to say what I wanted to say. Uh, at the beach More house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I what I have no idea what you're talking about. What shade? Uh, at the beach house, everyone when they're eating uh, like lunch or something, everyone's eating lunch from like fast food from like blue packaging, but Adelaide is eating red. Strawberries, which oddly enough, I posted this on Instagram. I was eating red vines. Didn't even put that together until I sat there. And I was like, this is weird. It's got really like meta. Um, here's a deep one. I bet you guys, this is one that you guys didn't catch. I 100% didn't catch this. Ready? I'm gonna look at your faces. Don't fucking lie if you caught this. Uh, in Red's speech to, I think it's Adelaide. She's, uh, or they're in the house. When they first break into the house, 
uh, Red says, I had a little girl and she was born laughing. And then I had a little boy and he was born in fire, right? That is, if you reverse it, that is how the doppelganger kids die, right? The daughter dies laughing. She gets chucked from the car, lands on the branch. She laughs, she dies. So she dies that way. And then the son walks backwards into the fire. So Red is basically saying this is how they were born, but they actually die. So there's like this birth, death, backwards, reversal, shadowy shit going on that I caught, which was odd. Did any of you catch that? I couldn't tell. Nope, I did not catch that. You win. Ah, plus five internets for me, guys. Awesome. <laughs> you win this game. <laughs> All right. So if if I can, let me let me just say, like you're you're mentioning Bloodbath and Beyond really quick. Let me just I'm gonna go ahead and like mention something really quick. So like I I obviously I, I think this is a fantastic film, and I'm not gonna just sort of jump into my overall summary and like grading here or whatever. But I think it was a great film, man. Like this was this was fantastic. Um, it's really sort of indicative of Jordan Peele's skill that he was able to do a complete, like maybe like a grand slam in his first film. And then maybe like a home run in his second, but also like, it's, I mean, it's just phenomenal. It's really hard to, to nitpick this movie. I did have like one kind of issue. Right. And so I think that um, the ending when they do that sort of twist and you kind of find out what's really going on here about the role reversal. Like, yes, there are some like tidbits and some, some like layering that's going on to kind of like indicate maybe there's something, but there's, I don't necessarily know if I buy it that she forgot her history. Right. So it's like some of the conversations that she had with red, for instance, like at the very beginning, whenever Adelaide was face to face with red as an adult, I, I feel like she is supposed to know who that person is. And like, that's why she's so freaked out. Like, I don't think she forgot her history at all. Um, and whenever red and Adelaide are talking toward the ending and she's sort of talking about your people and my people and the tethered and explaining what's going on. It's a little bit weird because Adelaide should know this kind of stuff. Right. And I, I'm not necessarily sure if, if they, they really kind of earned the ending that they had. I mean, it's like a, a really good ending and like most of the film itself is like just fantastic. So like all of it is really good, but there's a little bit of a disjointedness there. Um, and that's kind of like my one big complaint is that like whenever I left the theater, I was like, does that really make sense? Um, and I did watch it a second time to just kind of like go back and see if, um, you know, maybe I just missed some things, but I was still like, eh, I mean, like, yes, there there are some breadcrumbs along the way, but it's still not it's not one of those points where you see the ending and you're like, Oh my God, now everything makes sense. It's like, wait a minute. You've got yeah. to, you've got to like push some of this stuff away. You um, do. The way that this ties back to, to bloodbath and, and bed and beyond and uh, whatever uh, is that like their, their complaint. If you go back to like their Twitter, you can kind of see this. It's like about the pacing and the uneventfulness. That's totally just like objectively fucking wrong. I mean, like the, the pacing in this film, I think is absolutely fantastic. You get just enough time to have the family development. The conflict is sort of the problem is defined quite well. You have kind of like the, the struggle back and forth. You've even got like the tense moments broken up with just the right amount of comedy. There are kills that happen. So like, there's still like that little bit of an adrenaline rush that you kind of expect from a horror movie. And it sort of keeps moving along. Like there's a sequentiality to it that I think perfectly makes sense. Um, and there's plenty in this movie to like keep you interested. And there is definitely a crescendo at the ending, which I personally really love, um, which by the way, it's kind of like go on to like a little sub point here about like sort of dance that's sort of tied into horror. I feel like the ending of this, where you see this person sort of fighting their shadow to this, this sort of like 
orchestral style music and there's dance tied into that as kind of like a symbol of of the struggle that's happening i just i think it's fucking brilliant it works so well for a horror movie but their complaint is just so utterly simplistic and kind of like missing the point that it's just it's dumbfounding um i really can't understand it like i have a hard time taking the perspective of somebody who could look at this movie and think eh, it's kind of boring um i mean i think i think we already mentioned this like at, at one point but like whenever i was in the theater and i watched this the first time the 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 crowd was alive i mean there was laughter there were screams there was like oh shits you know people people were reacting to this film more than any other film that i've seen in a theater and i think it was a fantastic experience but like it it outweighed even the reactions to whenever whenever i'd go see a new star wars movie and those usually get pretty good reactions um but this was just on a whole other level like people were loving this film nobody was bored and it just i don't know it baffles the mind i don't understand how you could give this like a mediocre kind of like meh rating if you watch the same movie that i watched um yeah i don't know end rants i guess end no, rant. I, I, these are the same people who said it follows was about aids or like stds so that's yeah that's that's all you need to know uh well go ahead uh do you have more no wait let's I just think... say no let's just no, say no 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 okay. No, I think we need to cover. Okay, so uh, just so you guys know, there's this stupid podcast that we have beef with, all right? I'm going to put it that way. We don't like this podcast very much because they tend to be a little dude bro-y. And um, Noah got very upset with them today and 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 exchanged words on Twitter. Um, but one of the things he did was he researched their way of rating a lot of films, and he found that a lot of their really ridiculous like 420 uh beach babe sorority girl type films get high ratings and then they gave a low rating to this film um and, and noah was not happy about this and kind of went crazy on Twitter. well yeah i mean we had kind of so we and i've had this debate with them before it's really a debate about objectivity and subjectivity i i told them that no one is saying that you're morally obligated or rationally obligated to say that us is like it, it, it was more enjoy less enjoyable than you know boss babes from outer space, you know vampire chicks from you know 1833 or whatever the fuck films they've done. There was one about our bunny rabbit that has a giant dick that kills people, right? They rated that one higher than Jordan Kills Us, and I said, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with enjoying those films more. So this is why I made the distinction at the beginning of this podcast. Like you can enjoy a particular film and it's entirely subjective. Enjoy the fuck out of it. Enjoy it more than us. That's fine. But when you start to have these metrics of how you rate a film, there's a degree of objectivity. If there isn't, then you're just essentially saying at the end of the day when you rate it, another way of saying that you liked it or disliked it, right? Um, there's, you know, you, <laughs> there's objective shit, there's subjective shit. And, you know, if you're going to say something fairly controversial like that, which I think it's controversial to say us, gets a lower rating than like Dick Rabbit Killer 69, you know, um, then maybe you should justify that a little more. That's all. That's all I was saying. That's all I was saying. I was called an elitist because of that, which is, you know, it's semi-fair, semi-fair. Um, so that's that's how that happened. Anyway, um, so uh, I uh, I have one for you, and this is another Easter egg I bet you didn't catch. I, I, I'm going to be really happy if you didn't catch this one. Uh, the What was the name of the... Um, the white woman, the mother vodka clock. We, we said her name before, I forget. Kitty? Kitty. Kitty. Okay. So uh, they're at the beach. Kitty says, oh, did you see? I got something different. A little plastic surgery thing, right? right. Um, that's why her doppelganger cuts her face. Yep. I got that one. Bastards. All right. I'll think of another one. All right. Okay. I'm going to take that one off the list. Sorry. 
Well, I want to pick up on something Ben was saying as he was throwing shade at Bloodbath and Beyond and uh, as we sort of wandered down that um, rabbit hole. I can't use the same twice. Yeah, right. That's uh, I deserve that. But yeah, I think that I think you're right, Ben, when you say that if you're going to interpret this film as a genre film and how well it uh, executes and uh, delivers the expectations of the horror genre, that is, do we have uh, interesting action sequences, a.k.a. kills? Do we have suspense? Do we have um, horrific, uh, creepy characters in some cases? Yeah, like it checks all of the boxes just objectively. Um, and we've been talking a lot about this film metaphorically. If we were to try to talk about this film literally and in terms of the world building, I do think there are some legitimate issues. Now, whether Bloodbath and Beyond uh, actually draws these distinctions between viewing it as a genre film, viewing as a, it as a literal story, and viewing it as a metaphor, um, I don't know. I have better things to do with my time than listen. But uh, I... I Nevertheless, I think that when you draw those distinctions, it succeeds on two of those three levels. It, it, it succeeds as a genre film, and it succeeds as a metaphor. Literally, however, it's got some problems. Um, I oh, mean, yes. Oh, yes. on a very simple level, where did they get 32, 325 million pairs of scissors? Uh, where, where do they, they shit? Where do they shit? This bothered me. I'm sorry, Jim. Where did they shit? Anyway. Where do they shit is a, a world-building issue, which not a lot of movies have the courage to go into, but I'm glad that you have the, the courage to demand it. Um, but where do they get the, you know, if, the, if their entire lives are spent mirroring the actions of the doppelgangers upstairs, then where do they have the chance to, uh, or how do they have the chance to organize their hands across the America America campaign. Um, if if my day is spent doing all the things that um, Jim above is doing, then how how do I have time to also organize a coup, um, and then get matching red jumpsuits for everybody? And now I know they try to explain this with Adelaide saying, "Well, I trained them while I was down there," um, but. That doesn't, I don't know if that really fits, and I don't know if that really works in terms, and, and are you trying to also tell me that nobody's gone into the tunnels in all of these years? It was only Adelaide in all of the years since this experiment has been around? That that seems to defy some degree of, um, uh, I, I mean, I'm willing to suspend my belief, my disbelief, and I'm willing to, you know, sort of give the movie points uh, as it relates to being a good genre film and a good metaphor. But l as a literal story, it's got some problems as it as it relates to um, its world building. It didn't it didn't necessarily bother me, but I will have to say that when we give our final scores in in a little while, um, I am going to be a little bit lower on this film because the good films, the great films, rather, um, I'm still going to recommend it. I'm still going to be still going to be uh, fairly high. But uh, the good and great films are the ones that are able to do both metaphor and literal story at the same time. Um, if we're going to compare this to Get Out, 
get out works as a metaphor get out works as a a literal story get out works as a genre film it works on all three of those levels um so i don't know am i the only one that some of the world building bothered or did that uh affect some of you as well no no i mean i think that kind of like plays into my part at least part of my criticism um is that like it at least like the literal story doesn't necessarily like line up completely in all parts and like i really think i, I was actually i was telling noah about this after i first saw the film is that i think maybe it might be part of jordan's jordan peele's style to just not explain a whole lot i you know i think like there's there's a lot that just sort of happens and we're just sort of um led to accept it you know i, I don't know like in I don't necessarily know if like having to suspend belief is like a good thing or a bad thing. And like, usually I kind of count it as a bad thing depending on the movie, but there's so much, there's so much other stuff kind of like going on here that I, I tend to forgive it. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of really just, yeah. Like it, it just sort of like depicts his, his individual sort of style of filmmaking. Um, I don't know, like maybe I'm maybe I am being too forgiving, but I definitely did think that there were just some, like some gaps here where there were, there were a lot of layers and a lot of interesting pieces tucked into this movie, but maybe they weren't all like tied together perfectly well in like this complete flowing kind of like coherent, perfectly watertight way. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It looks like, but, I, but I have a really hard time counting off points for that just because there is so much shit in here that is just, that is just like fantastically brilliant, you know? Um, so I tend to be forgiving. I think I'm with Jim on this. Oh, go ahead, Jerry. I know you want to say something. I, I just want to throw this out here. Uh, uh, Jordan Peele is definitely, uh, you can tell he likes Hitchcock and is maybe even trying to be the next, next Hitchcock, right? But one of the things that Hitchcock taught us all, and this is me quoting him, logic is dull. <laughs> so yes, you can sit there and, and piece apart some of the things that don't make sense, but that's dull. Uh, some of the fun to murder and mystery and, and vampires and werewolves. Yes, you can pick things apart. Sparkly vampires, you know, oh, what the fuck is this shit? We can, we can pick those things apart. But at the end of the day, was it an entertaining film? And so uh, I think that's a huge part of what Peel is trying to put forth. Like Goonies, the Goonies, of course, is referenced in this film. It's so much fun. It's the most ridiculous fucking concept ever. A bunch of kids underground trying to find pirate treasure and then they save their entire fucking neighborhood. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. And um, I think there is something to be said about having some fun in a film, especially if there's a message behind it, which is to help your fellow man or to come together. So uh, I'm not trying to shit on what you're saying because obviously all of your arguments are fucking right. Right, <laughs> like you're right. Your logic is correct. I'm not arguing your logic, but it's kind of dull, right? Like sometimes it's just fun to throw in some crazy shit, like red jumpsuits and scissors. I'm gonna hold you to that because one of the arguments we had outside of this podcast, I'm letting some of you outsiders in. That's not metaphorical at all. Uh, is uh, one of my favorite films ever is Lady in the Water. I know that sounds insane. This is the one that I defend that everyone else hates, and. Part of the justification for everyone else in this podcast doesn't like it is exactly the opposite of what you just said, which is it's entirely illogical in many ways, makes very little sense. So I am going to assume, Shayra, from your comments that you will be on my side because that is how I defend 
Lady the Moore. the argument I'm making is, is it needs to be entertaining though. So um. oh. <laughs> oh. oh 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 god oh I felt that Jesus oh that was the greatest oh, oh. ouch Sorry, I, I, the fuck do I segue out of that? Um, I, I look. I'll, I'll I'll say this with regard to to Ben and Jim. What you guys are talking about, I can forgive. Uh, this is not really a phrase, but I'm going to use it. I can forgive what I like to think of as like Lovecraftian gaps, where I don't understand something, but I'm scared in the non-understanding of the thing. Right. Um, what I can't forgive is logistical gaps. Like, how the fuck do they shit? Like that gnaws on my left. Le like I just I'm left-brained, and I I can. I can forgive a certain amount of it. I can suspend disbelief. I don't even find it as a flaw because like all film first, you can argue at a certain point is a suspension of disbelief. I don't mind that, but they just added up too much. You know, it just where are they getting the bunnies? Are they cloning the buddies? Where, bunnies? Where are they getting the clothes? Uh, how is she putting, where's all the scissors? There's just so many questions to at a certain point. I'm just like, I don't buy it. So I got to take away points for that. Like this is the, for me, the largest flaw of this film is that it, relied so heavily maybe on metaphor, relied so heavy on Easter eggs as we've clearly uh, gone through tonight. I still have one more, by the way, um, that that I, I, I got to take away points for it. Whereas maybe we could, I don't, let's um let's compare this to something like uh, The Endless, where there, there are certain things that don't make sense, even certain things that you're not, that are just never answered, but there's this like overarching sense of dread related to those questions that make them things of value and cinematically that you just sort of forgive them for. Does that, I, does that make any kind of sense? So they're not like um, very oh, yeah. obvious logistical concerns. They're just, I don't under, there's, I don't understand what the fuck and I don't understand, I kind of don't want to understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, yeah, it's it's what the the film sets out. Like in in Endless, we're following those characters' journeys on trying to figure out what's going on, and they never really figure out everything that's going on. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that as an ending. This film is deliberately trying to build a world and build a mythology, and there are aspects of the mythology that don't make sense on a literal level. Um, that's all I'm saying, and I'm still going to recommend this film. Like, if if I were on Rotten Tomatoes, my review would still be fresh. I would still, I, you know, and I understand the idea of saying, well, the metaphor works and the genre elements work well enough where that I'm willing to forgive those things. Likewise, I'm willing to forgive those things because I'm going to recommend the film at the end of this. But I'm also not going to ignore the fact that a lot of this doesn't make sense from a literal how do they plan this thing story premise uh, from a store from a, a literal how do they plan this thing story framework when i'm putting myself into a literal interpretation of this film it does fall short that's all i'm saying um i also want to uh respond to the the hitchcock uh analogy and also sort of bring up one of the comments in our chat ask in the chat is gordon peele this generation stanley kubrick please i think that that's actually a better uh comparison to a past master of horror because kubrick was incredibly metaphorical hitchcock was incredibly literal um he like rear window is not a metaphor for anything it's a literal story that does have sort of larger themes and interpretations that go go along with it but i think that it's not a 
it's not meant to be a metaphor for something else, whereas I think this deliberately and clearly is. So for me, uh, Jordan Peele isn't the next, next Hitchcock, he's the next Kubrick, uh, because he's he's dealing more in metaphor than Hitchcock is. He's gonna have to work a little harder to be a Kubrick for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say. I was about I'm to say. sorry, you guys are giving him way more credit than he's due, and I'm not even shitting on Peel. I'm excited about where he's going, and I and I hope he goes to really amazing places. I saw some original uh, Hitchcock and, and Kubrick stuff, and it wasn't the most fantastic, and it it got exponentially better. So obviously, Peel has his whole career ahead of him and, and we'll see but Let, let's do this post Candyman. once peel does Candyman, let's come back and we'll have the uh we'll, we'll have the debate uh um whether he's up, up there with kubrick or not this is where garrett would shit all over this i i made i made the mistake of posting online that uh the two uh horror uh directors that i will watch every film of that i think are nailing it out of the park is ari aster who did hereditary in midsummer which isn't out yet and jordan peele and he was like uh, ari aster only made one movie and i was like well jordan peele made two so we're gonna have to have a debate at some point whether these guys are masters or not. I'm gonna give Peel till uh, till um, his remake of uh, a Candyman to. He's still a baby. He's, He's still, still a baby. baby. Still a baby. writer. <laughs> yeah, I no, I I do have high hopes for him, and in a way, that's kind of a lot of the hardship of this film, right? Because Get Out was so huge, and then you go into this, and and everybody's comparing it to that, and and. Is it is it good enough? Is it better? Um, is it going to be as good? Is it going to mean something for his career? So like when you knock one out of the park that hard and then you have another one coming up, it's really hard. I mean, when it comes to the music industry, TV shows, movies, whatever, if you if you all of a sudden boom, you better always boom. And, and so I think that's one of his hardships, honestly. Right. Yeah. Let's we'll I mean, let's let yeah when peel makes a shitty film that may be more important than these two that we've been discussing this would be interesting to kind of go to that and talk about it i don't and know and even if he does make a fuck up does that mean he's shit i mean no there's sometimes you make some shit and then you come back out of it so you know who doesn't make shit the doppelgangers i still don't understand that i don't anyway i'm sorry i'm sorry that's a problem for me that i literally i'm gonna drop it like a point and a half for that anyway uh, I got one more. Uh, I got one more <coughs> Easter egg, um, and this is the stretch one. Remember, I said at the beginning this one may be a stretch, but I don't think it is. Let me. I want to know if you think it's a stretch. Um, the police being fourteen minutes out, fourteen minutes late. Fourteenth um, Amendment, and he says uh, it's too long. Fourteen minutes. It's too long. It took too much time. Fourteenth Amendment. Fourteen minutes. I don't know, thought there was something there. You guys are looking at me like a deer caught in the headlights. I don't know what the fuck's happening, but that I thought there was something there. It is a stretch. Interesting though. Mm -hmm. If they had said, oh, they're 13, 14 or 15 amendment, or, uh, minutes out, I would be more willing to say, oh, that makes, <laughs> yeah, now I see it. Um, they, or, or you know, the 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 the, the, out, the bloodbath and beyond version would be fourteen minutes out. You know what that reminds me of? The Fourteenth Amendment. Boy, that took too long. You know, you got to heavy-handedly put that in there. I'm sorry for shitting on your channel. I really am. Kind of like eighty percent sorry. Um, at least you're shitting on something, unlike the doppelganger. Unlike the doppelganger. Right. Yeah, again, again, no idea how to segue. Adam. Yeah, that, no, that is. That's all my Easter eggs. Do you guys have any more? That is all, we went through all of mine. 
I, I feel like I had more, but you know, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna be like, oh, I forgot to mention this. Ah, I should have wrote notes. I'm a horrible person. Um, I, I will say this: there is something really interesting for me as a Northern Californian who was raised around Sacramento. Um, I did not know this until later on in my life, but apparently we have a weird word we use that I did not know that everybody else used a different word. We use this word called crawdad. Everyone else calls it crawfish or crayfish. Oh, we no. say crawdad where I come from. Same. So um, what's what's funny is uh, crawdad was on uh, dad's boat. He was crawdaddy on his boat. And I was like, hell yeah, represent. It's not a fish, motherfuckers. <laughs> you motherfuckers, it's not a fish. So we used it's to not live... a dad necessarily either though. Shayra, <laughs> we used to live on the border. Danielle and I used to live on the border of Louisiana and um, in Danielle's backyard, I believe for a while, um, they would have these holes where they would, I guess, catch them or fish for them. I don't Mud know how bugs. the fuck they- Mud, That's right. That's right. So they would do that. I, when I asked, this has nothing to do with this podcast. I'm sorry. When we got married, Danielle and I flew, we had our honeymoon in Las Vegas. We flew out there and we literally flew there the day we got married. We go out there, we go to a buffet in Vegas the next day, right? So it's the day after we got married and she goes straight for the crawdads and just, she has her veil on. She's got like white on and she starts cracking open crawdads and I'm sitting there eating like steak and she's just sitting there Louisiana, just bam, 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 knocking them down. I was like, I made a good decision, I made a great decision. So I totally, I'm right there with you, right there with you. Yes, uh, we should. It's wrap good up. eating. It's good eating. I, oh That's my god, it's, a, it's amazing. It's amazing eating. And, and honestly, Crawdaddy is like the best name for a boat. I think it's better than Biot. I don't know, it, Biot, like Biot. Like, yeah, that's a is... that's a joke that I would make. That's a pun that we would start this podcast with. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's too dad. Point. It's way too dad. Crawdaddy yeah, is. is a little better. I like it better. Yeah, let's wrap up our thoughts. Um, I guess I can. I guess I can start because I, I selected the movie. Um, so uh, what else notes do I have? You know, the the I have a little section here for my summary for like the normative takeaway from this movie. At least for me, I, I started the podcast by sort of talking about um, you know trying to focus in on the the, the sort of personal aspects of this movie move a little bit away from the, the societal duality and, and make it a little more personal. After all, you know, there's a reason the Hall of Mirrors sign that we see in this movie has a thing above it that says, find yourself, which is really important, find yourself. We're, we're our own worst enemies. Um, you know, uh, there's a sense in which, again, this has been mentioned throughout the podcast, that this is largely a film about hypocrisy, which I think has just been underscored the more we've been talking about it. It's, it's about like the privileges we enjoy without ever really giving a thought to whose back had to break in order to get us there. So there's these societal components, there's these personal components, there's duality on multiple levels. It's very open for interpretation. That's the part that I find very Jordan Peele. Um, the, the sort of the, the metaphorical takeaway from his films tend to be, or they're getting more open-ended. I don't see that as a negative. I, I certainly enjoy that. I would just like to know how they shit. That's again, that's, that's all I care about. Um, metaphor open-ended, um, logistics of shitting close-ended. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I, I dug this film. This is a great horror film. Um, I started this by sort of, and, and everyone's going to do this, unfortunately, you know, comparing it to Get Out. And Get Out is the superior film in my mind. It's much more cerebral. It's less visceral. It's more of a mind fuck. It's less of a traditional horror film. I felt like this was more traditional horror. Um, but that said, this is a fantastic horror film that I will recommend to everybody I see. It's one of the best, probably the second best horror film 
of 2019 to me. Um, with next week, the the film we're doing next Sunday night being my number one, uh, which is uh, Gaspar Noé's uh, Climax. So uh, definitely a great film. Uh, has a lot to offer. Um, it's it's funny as fuck. It's scary as fuck. Uh, it works on multiple levels. It's got metaphor. It talks about something fundamental to the human experience. It hits all of the things that I think make horror films good, right? Informative, important, lasting, more than just jump scares and viscera. Um, and I don't know. Those are those those are valuable things in, in a in an age of bloodbath and beyond. Jesus. So uh, anyway, uh, those are my thoughts. I would probably rate this film, man. Um, I want to say like a seven and a half out of 10, um, which is a little lower than I had hoped. Um, but that's sort of where, that's where I, that's where I sit. So um, may change. I don't think it will. I think I'm going to score to seven and a half out of 10 overall. Those are my thoughts. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go next. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think this film works as a metaphor and I think it works as a genre film. Um, I, don't I think a lot of what I was going to say is my um, closing is what I kind of said in um, a little bit uh, responding to the bloodbath and beyond conversation um, essentially as a literal story and as literal world building it does fall short um, but all of the things you're saying about uh, the film as a metaphor really really work for me and I think it's in important film um even though i think get out uh is probably more important i think get out is probably one of the most important films of this decade um and so yeah this i i like this movie a lot um one of the things i want to talk about just briefly before we go um at one point there's the uh, a thing that jumps out at her in the funhouse mirror in her initial journey down there and that was a that's a jump scare and um then on her subsequent journey down to the down the escalator, so to speak, um, she that jump scare comes out again. And she just smashes it in the face, and uh, it doesn't work as a jump scare. It just works as sort of this badass moment of her with a uh, um, a fireplace tool, and I I think that kind of works as sort of a way to understand Jordan Peele's. Um, understanding of horror genre conventions writ large. He knows when to use the jump scares and the horror conventions to get the cheap thrill, but he also knows when to subvert those genre conventions and horror thrills. And I think that that is sort of, that, that indicates his control over his art, his control over the genre of horror, his understanding of this genre, and how uh, how to use it in how to use the trappings of the genre well, um, and that makes me even more optimistic for his his subsequent films and even for the uh, Twilight Zone uh, series, which he's going to be bringing to uh, CBS All Access. I don't know if that's going to get me to uh, subscribe where no one has subscribed before. Um, sort of joke on their uh, Star Trek reboot. Um, so yeah, I uh, I really like it. I'm giving it a three and a half out of five. Um, it's still a recommend. It's still a, a relatively high rating for me. It's the literal aspects of the world building that bring it down from um, a, uh, a metaphorical or bring it down as as a whole for me.
Okay, I guess you, you're wanting to end, Ben. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I, I did remember some of the stuff I wanted to bring up, so I apologize. I'm going to do some of my, uh, uh, I don't know if they're Easter eggs, but my random thoughts that I had. If you guys want to comment on it, I understand. Um, one of the other things I noticed was rock, paper, scissors kept coming up. Um, you have the people playing rock, paper, scissors, and then you had uh, the scissors, obviously, as a weapon. Uh, there was the rock. Um, there was a, a, like a geode object that the sun um, managed to get and kill Kitty's uh, doppelganger with. Um, and then, obviously, the paper when she was cutting up the paper down below and then split the uh, little paper people that were holding hands. So the rock, paper, scissors kept coming up. Um, there was the uh, question of if the sun was a shadow sun that maybe, uh, and I know this. there's a lot of people that say this isn't possible, but when the sun got lost, there's a new sun that, that could have been replaced and that maybe the scarred sun was when he finally figured out the magic trick and may have burned his face. Um, and so they may have been switched and maybe she could recognize that that was why her son was actually the one who was dying in the fire and why she screamed out. Um, and here's my own little take on, on the crawdaddy boat. Um, the crawdaddy boat always veered left, but it wasn't exactly uh, reliable and <laughs> tend to shut down sometimes and not work so great for us. And I felt like maybe, I don't know if it is, but it might be a metaphor for how the uh, Democratic Party is working out for us right now. <laughs> it's like it veers left, but it keeps breaking down. I don't know about you, but I would have voted for Obama for a third term. So, you know. Oh no. Okay. Um, so sorry, I didn't think of some of those things. I don't know if you guys want to comment on them or not. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I liked this film. I When I went into the theater, everybody was very exuberant. I mean, there was two guys on either side of us that just kept making commentary and they were just like, oh no, don't go in there. And when, when they got to the Haida key, and he was like, what kind of white shit is hide a key? I think he's able to unlock the door. Um, I mean, everybody around us was just like, oh, shit, and freaking out. So we, I don't know. It was it was a fun movie to go see live with other people. I don't normally recommend to watch a movie in a theater because I am a reclusive fuck. But I recommend watching this movie with people because... The uh, reactions from the audience are great. And we talked about this. Um, I know that it's not available for people to watch. But Noah and Elle and I had a discussion about Scream. And we discussed um, the kind of excitement that happened in the theater. People laughing, screaming. Uh, people started shouting, do we, do we, do we. I mean, it, it was so, like, exciting. That's what theater should be. Like, in a way, I believe that the audience should be part of the story. I don't like this idea of, shh, this is a library, everybody shut up. I hate those theaters. I wanna be around people that have opinions and jokes. I, I went to go see The Room live with my uh, with my daughter and um, people are throwing plastic spoons at the screen going spoon and people had all these like lines that they knew with the, with the, with the film and it just added to it, it theater started out with an audience with audience participation and now we have this weird idea that we have to just sit there and just sit what fucking boring ass shit is that this film brought back some 
fun theater me memories for me. So I, it actually moved it up for me because I watched it with people excited by it. Did uh, you so throw scissors at the screen chair for this <laughs> no, one? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't know to bring scissors. So next time, I'll definitely make sure to uh, possibly endanger the other audience members. When this I will be it. the last podcast Shira does with us. I just want to <laughs> I'll be in jail later. But no, I, I mean, I just, I had so much fun watching it and hearing everybody's excitement. So, um, and lots of laughter. Can I point that out? This was actually a comedy movie for a huge chunk of it. Like there was so many comedy moments, especially from the dad who we see as a badass in Black Panther. And now, you know, he's kind of a, a dad. <laughs> like that's the best way to put it. He's such a dad. He has his dad puns, his dad jokes. He doesn't even kick ass as, as well as everybody's like, you got one, you got one, you got one. I got two. It's like, oh, congrats, dad. Good job, dad. Uh, so it was it was kind of fun. I know some people are probably annoyed by his character, but I related because I am married to a dad. So I understand the problems of dealing with a dad. Um, anyway, I give this a four out of five. I think this is a really fun film and uh, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, it got higher rating for me because of the enjoyment factor, though, because I was entertained and laughing and screaming. So. That is a higher rating than a 420 massacre. So I am super happy that you rated it that. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Um, all right. What to say about this? Um, as somebody who um, is kind of a fan of psychology, I, I really do actually like the onion stuff. Um, I know that you know maybe Noah right like he he looks at this and like brings up the point maybe with a little bit of the scorn and like obviously there's some who and there's some some woo or whatever associated with Young's work, um, but I really do think it's actually quite fascinating and like the 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 idea of having cultural archetypes um, and psychological archetypes I think is fascinating <clears throat> and I think it works in a lot of situations. Um, especially in storytelling right and like this is the perfect way to sort of bring up the the sort of like the shadow um that darker part within all of us that we try to suppress um and thinking about that i think is the perfect way to think about american culture and and just a lot of different aspects of our daily lives um i just really i, I think that's probably the, the part of this that really sticks out the most to me is is kind of like that that metaphoric value i know uh jim and noah both you you really put a lot of weight on kind of like the literal interpretations and the logistics um but i think i can perfectly well enjoy a film and like appreciate a film that has no plot um you know i mean like that stuff really doesn't weight quite as highly for me i think as a piece of art uh and that's that's really how kind of i i try to approach really good horror films as a piece of art they don't necessarily have to be entirely coherent though at points it does get a little bit distracting for this as as i've talked about um not necessarily the the specifics about how they get a million pairs of scissors but really just in how they earn kind of different plot points that they try to use to to move the story along and make it more interesting and of course as i've said the best example of that is the very ending whenever we find out that adelaide was actually read uh from the very beginning and that there was kind of a little bit of a switcheroo there and that totally changes the entire meaning of the film i don't necessarily think they earned that but the elements here of duality, of the consequences of sort of like suppressing the darker parts of yourself, um, I, I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. And that's something that I can't speak 
enough about us, especially in a podcast where we sort of laud the the value and the importance of horror is taking a look at those parts of ourselves, which we don't normally want to take a look at that we hide from the light, which we keep out of the, um, the sort of public view, like how important it is to take a look at those, analyze them, process them, make sense of them and, and use them and sort of like be one with them in a way that is healthy and enriches our existence in a way. Like, I don't know, like not to get, not to get too pretentious, I guess <laughs> with that point, but that's that's a huge part of like early psychology is that whenever you suppress something it tends to blow up in a way that is sort of a little bit unpredictable and at a thousand times more serious than it would have been otherwise if you just dealt with the problem head on and i can't think of a better analogy for for america than that yes we have this history that is dark that we seem to ignore that we look over we fail to acknowledge and because of that we continuously have these repetitive problems of of class conflict of race conflict that just keep coming back to bite us in the ass and probably drag us down from becoming a better nation than if we would just sort of face them acknowledge that there were mistakes made and make good on those mistakes and and sort of move on from there and not like it and really not even to offer any solutions about that but just to point out that by sort of ignoring the the negative aspects of who we are as a people we're really kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. The only way to move forward, I think, is to make peace with that other side of ourselves, acknowledge it, and make it a part of who we are and move forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, this has like an element to it that I, I find that it is culturally important. And that's probably one of the number one things for me in terms of how how I should rate a horror movie. Um, I've talked to Jim about this before, that if I were in control of the Oscars, no film would be be nominated or even well maybe not nominated i don't know if i can control that but like no film should win an award for best picture or you know many of the other awards that are are provided unless it has some sort of import to the culture in which it is introduced like i mean there's there's a larger role that we can say for film is present and that is to bring out aspects of our 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 society which we don't normally want to take a look at in an artistic way in a way that conveys a huge amount of meaning with a limited number of resources and amount of time in a way that we can all connect with um that's one of the great virtues of horror i think is like it's uniquely positioned to be able to do some of that anyway um to get back around to this movie yes i think it definitely does all of those things and while it might not make sense narratively in all aspects um while it doesn't uh, feature gallons and gallons of blood being spilled. It doesn't have a million jump scares. Um, there's no sex, I guess, to speak of. There's no drug use. You know, I mean, some things are just fucking more important, guys. Come on, really, get over yourselves. Um, yeah, so, like, and anyway, like, it, I do think Get Out is probably a little bit better. I agree with you guys on that, but I'm going to have to give this a four pairs of golden bronze Chinese scissors out of five. Um, and that's kind of where I stand on this. Um, fantastic people should watch this movie here 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 that's a that's a great way to end it um uh so we're doing climax next week um this is where i insert about 37 sex jokes but i'm just gonna say it's a, a great it's a great french film so watch it with us um i actually don't do you guys know if climax is available on any streaming sites i probably should have figured that out before i said we're gonna do that no, it's still theatrically. It's still in its theatrical run. But yeah, there's still there's still a couple of cinemas in LA down here that are showing it. Anyway, we're doing climax. Um, 
If you acquire it in some way on the interwebs, uh, unbeknownst to any of us on this podcast, please feel free to join us uh, next Sunday night at 6 p.m. We are now doing this podcast uh, every Sunday night. We used to do it every two Sunday nights, uh, every other Sunday night, rather. Now we're doing it every Sunday night. So join us. Um, check us out on social media, clearly on Twitter. Uh, I'm causing a ruckus. Uh, so ch <laughs> check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, thank you for uh, joining tonight's podcast. We will see you uh, next week for uh, Gaspar Noise Clinics.